0: Jesus, I crave to know you to know you will satisfy my soul. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 74. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to check in with this uh, newest episode. I appreciate those who have walked with me on this journey of podcasting and Uh, Maybe if this is your first time, um, I appreciate you stopping by. I hope that uh, this word speaks to your heart, that uh, it awakens something inside of you. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just take take over, say that which he desires to say, that uh, just displays the heart of God and the thing that he wants to make his people aware of. So, today I am going to talk about a very, um, very well known passage that we, we come across. Um, we'll get there, but first I want to go into kind of the, I guess, the, the pretext for this, this really, this whole message as it ties together to the very popular scripture that we read in the New Testament. But it's an Old Testament passage out of Second Samuel, chapter one, verse nine. And as I was just reading, um, I came across this, and the Lord just really started to, to, to draw this out of me, and He unpacked this over probably it was a course of maybe a week or more, and um, just it just kept building and kept growing, and uh, so I have it finally prepared but um i think it is very important for somebody um either one or many uh, but hopefully that the intended purpose is hit and i pray that it um it just woos your heart unto the lord so second samuel chapter 1 verse 9 and in this first chapter of Second Samuel, we see really a changeover. First Samuel, we see the rule and selection of Saul as king over Israel. Second Samuel, we see this transition um, to the replacement of Saul. We we start reading of David, and it's that progression of him coming into kinghood. But in chapter one, we find that Saul is 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 dying or about to die and and so the verse reads this in second samuel 1 verse 9 then he said to me stand here by me and kill me i'm in the throes of death but i'm still alive now i know that's just kind of a what seems like just a random shot in the dark um, so, just to give a little bit of uh, context for that verse, there's this man who is coming to David, and he is reporting to David the death of Saul, and there are, um, there's a battle against um, the Amalekites, and on the third day, uh, this, this man comes from Saul's camp, and he is encountering in, in, in David. And David asks him, where have you come from? And He he's, looks like he's you know, been in, in quite some sort of battle. His clothes are torn. Uh, he has dust on his head. And he answered that he has escaped from the Israelite camp. So David asks him, what, what has happened? What's went on? Tell me about it. And so he explains that the men fled from the battle Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David ends up asking this man, how do you know that these are dead, Saul and his son Jonathan? And so he begins to tell them that he happened to be on the mountain, Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me, this man, he called out to me, and I said, "What can I do?" He asked me, "Who are you?" An Amalekite, I answered. So this would not, this would be of the uh, not of an, uh, not an Israelite, but but a, a opponent, an Amalekite. He says. Then he Saul said to me, the man who's reporting this, verse nine, "Stand here by me and kill me." I'm in the throes of death. Some translations use the word anguish. I'm in anguish. In this, here in the NIV, it says in the throes of death. uh, Other translations may say in the pains of death. Yet, he says, I am still alive. And that is what really resonated with me and i believe that it's applicable to to people he, even hearing this who feel like they are in the pains of death they are in the the anguish of 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 death but they're still living this is a message for those living yet in the anguish of dying they feel as though they are dead inside but blood still is coursing through your veins. You may even do a good job showing the appearance of life outwardly, but inwardly, you long for someone to come and put you out of your misery. Misery and anguish have become the two predominant words of your experience called life. Now, in this parallel to Saul the one who puts him to death was an unnamed traveling or sojourning Amalekite remember in 1 samuel 15 Saul this is this is important Saul is told to utterly destroy amalek the king and all that they have but Saul He takes the best back with him and he spares the king in disobedience. Interestingly interestingly enough, it is the very people that Saul spared that puts him to death. This man is a Amalekite. Saul had previously, earlier in in his reign or rule, was told by God to Destroy Amalek and all that they have. Don't spare any. Utterly destroy them. So here we find this Amalekite, the very people that Saul was supposed to put to death. He is is the very people group that is taking or at, at least asking to take the life of of Saul, of himself. This misery and anguish like Saul, so this misery and anguish that you feel internally like Saul could have been or even very likely is self-inflicted. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, like I said, Saul was supposed to put to death Amalek and his, and his nation, the Amalekites. So, here we see this man taking Saul's life, but he shouldn't have even been there. So, in a way, we could say that this is a self-inflicted situation that Saul finds himself in. This misery and anguish that you feel could have even been self-inflicted. Now, our disobedience has created an environment for anguish and misery to grow and to thrive. Because anguish and misery is its an infective parasite. It's thriving. So, the thriving of that parasite means... Your failure. Parasites draw. They suck the life from one. To make another thrive. So it's success means your failure. And they will continue. To drain the life from you. Until they take the last drop of nourishment from your veins. But. It doesn't have to be this way. There is a light at the end of your tunnel now what i what i want to to read next is a passage from luke and it is luke 4:16 through 21 and it's very likely that you are familiar with this passage I'm actually going to read this. I believe out of the New King James version. Um, in 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 what I have studied, it seems as though the New King James captures most closely to the original passage that we find in Isaiah 61 that Jesus is quoting. So, Luke 4:16. Through 21. And it says this So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what I want to do is specifically targeting these individuals, where you might feel this applies to you, those in the the pains of death, those dealing with this component of misery and anguish. Jesus stands up and he quotes out of, it's from Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, and he quotes this and it's an announcement of the ministry in which he will perform. The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is upon him. Why? Why? Because he has anointed Jesus to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. My hope, my intention is to walk through each one of those objectives. And to unpack them, because those are very specific mission points, missional points, that Jesus was anointed to do. They're important, and I believe they are applicable to us in so many ways. But specifically, I want to highlight those of you who feel like you are alive, but you are in the pains of death. You may feel like you're dying, but yet you still have blood flowing through your veins. Which brings us to the first objective, the verse, first mission point of Jesus when he says, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So other translations say, proclaim good news. This is the word for gospel proclaim the gospel or to proclaim the good news to the poor you may also see the word needy now this isn't just those with little money we often when we see the when we see the word poor we think of some type of um, physical lack some type of tangible uh, currency issue even though, this greek word is used to denote the physically poor matthew 5 verse 3 shows us there is a deeper component in this word it's the greek word tokos and it says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now your spirit is not physically poor there is a there is a, another dimension a deeper component to this idea of poor and it's the greek word uh, tokos this details a spirit that is dependent needy there the sp- blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the dependent spirit the needy spirit it has nothing in themselves to offer i picture a flower that is planted in the desert totally dependent upon nourishing rain you may you may even feel dry parched wilted hanging on by a mere thread but jesus came to bring good news to precisely you there is abundant life to be found in Him. You don't have to stay the way you are. Like the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, verse 4. Ask of Jesus and drink from Him and never thirst again. So this is a component of the ministry, proclaim good news to the poor, to those who are dependent, who are needy, who have nothing in themselves to offer. He has come and Jesus came to give good news to those people. So that is the first component of his ministry the second component is he has sent me to heal the broken hearted now the word heal there is iome and it means to cure to make whole and keep those components in mind to cure and to make whole now the next word broken hearted is the words centriboho cardia and what that is trying to capture in in the Greek is this idea of a of a shattered and a bruised heart now when we think about misery and anguish they infect the heart they are parasites that infect the heart decisions Experiences, those things are the fuel that can keep those two parasites burning. What you choose and what happens to you carry the potential to affect the condition of our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring The issues of life. Now, I like how the NIV actually says it. And it says it this way. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. It's beautiful. Jesus says in Luke 6, 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up. In his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see, the mind is the battlefield, and the heart is the garden. The victories or the defeats in the mind determine what's being planted. In the garden of your heart. Now, if you tend and you cultivate good fruit, then you will grow good fruit. Likewise, if you tend and cultivate bad fruit, then you will grow bad fruit. Now, bad fruit like jealousy, envy, bitterness, resentment, lust, anger, hatred, selfishness self-fulfillment idolatry drunkenness unforgiveness sexual immorality all of those things and the like that's to name some galatians 5 22 and 23 says but kindness or rather but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, the heart is a critical place to own ground for the kingdom of God. Many of us have wicked fruit growing in the garden of our hearts. Many of us have hearts broken. Remember, bruised and shattered not just from what's happened to us but also what we've done decisions we've made these bruised and shattered broken hearts when you hear broken don't just hear sad hearts hear also dysfunctional disordered hearts think of this if a pot is broken It can't hold water. It can't carry out its purpose and design because of the state that it's in. If that's you, I've got good news. A ministry of Jesus is to heal the broken hearts. His healing salve can mend the wounds. Either inflicted upon you wounds or self-inflicted wounds jesus the potter can reshapen the mold of your heart and life if you will just submit to his guiding hands and trust that his way and his process are best like a strong-willed dog pulling against a leash we do everything in our power to resist the leading of our master. This is because the will is such a strong and dominating force if we let it be. This is the first command to be Jesus' disciple. Deny self. Deny and keep denying for it's when we stop denying self, that is when we begin to downward decline into numbness towards God. Surrender your will. Surrender your heart to the only one who can truly satisfy it Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, and Friend. This leads us now to our third objective or mission of Christ. It says, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now that word liberty is the Greek word aphesis, meaning freedom, pardon, deliverance, forgiveness. Those are all those all capture the meaning of the Greek word for liberty. Now, the next word is when it says liberty to the captives. What is that Greek word? And I'll do my best here. Ahekmaltos, meaning <laughs> prisoner of war. Now Interestingly, this is the only time this Greek word is used in the New Testament. What blessed news, liberty, right? We said freedom, pardon, deliverance, forgiveness. That encompasses so much packed into that one word, liberty. What blessed news that liberty is to whom captives, to what prisoners of war. Think about the, the, the intangible spiritual realities that we face every day, especially those of you who are feeling misery and anguish. You feel like a prisoner of war. But Jesus, a, a, a premier point of what he is trying to accomplish is to proclaim freedom pardon, deliverance, forgiveness. Those are what come with liberty in Christ. We read in 2 Samuel 1 verse 9 where King Saul, we said earlier, is dying, but he's alive. Picture yourself in his place. The walls of death are closing in. Your time is running out and there is no way out, but suddenly, You are delivered from your back being against the wall. What hope, what joy, what excitement and passion for life is ignited out of this offering of new life. This freedom is not just applicable to those near this figurative death. Our lives can be entrenched by captivity of the enemy. Anything that has you bound up that is contrary to the heart of God for you is put on notice this moment. Fear, addiction, hate, lust, pornography, bitterness, resentment unforgiveness, anxiety, all the others, anything that is not of love's kind is a yoke that is heavy and burdensome. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light That's matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 when jesus mentions rest he's not talking just about this idea of good night sleep if we read luke eleven twenty four 24 through 26 there's this idea of seeking rest When, when an evil spirit is cast out of a person, it goes about seeking rest. What's that What's that idea? It's, it is seeking rest is seeking a house. What do you do in a house? You dwell there. It is seeking a dwelling place. What does Jesus say? You will find rest. For your souls what is he promising and he's not just promising a, a, a this relaxative moment. he's talking about a place in which to dwell, which is where in him I and you and you and me, there's this interconnectedness between Christ and his and his believer, his followers, those who have given themselves to him we see this idea again of this dwelling place this house in hebrews 4 verse 1 it's the greek word katapausis it means rest calming resting place here's this one abode remember jesus said to abide in him we don't use this word much in our culture in the united states so we lack an appreciation for it. But we abide in our home, in our house. It is a dwelling place. Please see the Old Testament popping into your mind now, this dwelling place, this tabernacle, right? The dwelling place of God. It's a dwelling. We dwell in God and he dwells in us. There is this oneness that is happening please see that first corinthians 3 16 paul says do you not know that you are god's temple whoa (laughs) and that here it is god's spirit dwells in you Hmm. start thinking about that in as it relates to this uh, uh, this new temple theology or this new temple idea do you not know that you are god's temple you are his dwelling place peter says in in 1 peter chapter 2 verse 5 he says you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house we actually see this foreshadowed in 2 samuel seven verse two where David says to Nathan see now I dwell in a house of cedar but the ark the ark of God dwells in a tent now the ark is the the manifested presence of God it the ark is where God is. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.14 that shortly he must put off this earthly tent. Start connecting the dots here. He must put off this earthly tent. Be thinking also back to the Old Testament tent, tabernacle, speaking. But Paul, or rather Peter, is speaking of his body and it's death. He must put off his earthly tent. So we see that finding rest is actually to abide in or tabernacle in God. And he abides or tabernacles in us. Those that are bound up, captive, prisoners of war, prisoners of anything other than God, have available to them freedom, deliverance, pardon, through who the ministry of Jesus Christ, who has done what? Proclaimed liberty to the captives. That's glorious news. The next item that Jesus announced, recovery of sight to the blind. Now the word blind is the Greek word tuflos, which refers to both physically blind and mentally blind, or those who lack understanding or discernment. John nine 39 through 40 sheds a little light for us on this ministry of Jesus. It says, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see, there it is, the blind, who those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. Now, this is a very revealing part, I believe, for man and by Christ. Of course, Jesus opened blind eyes. But there is a worse condition that needed healing spiritual blindness, the inability to see, or we could use the word recognize, who Jesus is. And therefore, in that place of inability to see who Jesus is, your desperate need of him, those who do not see or perceive may see there is availability. Those who do not see can see. They can be given sight. And those who see, we'll say convinced they perceive and understand, may be made blind. There's the word again, two flows. Another way to say this is continue. Those And those who say they see or they're convinced that they can see, when in reality they cannot see, another word is they may continue to be blind. They, in effect, affirm their blindness. But the key difference between these two groups, right, those who say they can and those who, who, those who say they can see and those who who say they cannot see. There is a key difference between these two groups that we need to see is, what is the difference? Humility, which leads into purity. It's the one who can say that I cannot see. Recall Matthew 5:8: Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Remember the difference, humility, which leads into purity. Blessed are the pure in heart. So if they're pure in heart, it says, for they shall see God. So how does humility lead to purity? Let me show you. Psalm 25, 9 says, he leads the humble in what is right. He's leading the humble in what is right. So there's humility leading into purity. It goes on to say, and he, and teaches the humble his way. Humility admits your inability and declares to God your need of him. Remember the verse, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? and who shall stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. That's Psalm 24, 3-4. through 4. Also Ephesians 5, 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Humility is the key into the door into purity and it's the pure that will see god those that reject jesus the messiah have been blinded as with a veil to be kept from seeing the light jesus himself second corinthians 4 3 through 4 john 8 12 is Actually, the fix for blindness. Again, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And walk in darkness, think of blindness, but will have the light of life. So, if you reject Jesus, you affirm your blindness. If you follow Jesus, you see. Because it's your humility that positions you to see your need of Him. Your humility has given you access to a life of purity fed from the Lord, which enables you to see Him. It's a positive reinforcement process. Your humility and your reaching for Him feeds. It is a it is a umbilical cord, really, into the Lord, which nourishes you, and He teaches you and leads you, and awakens you to love. The next um, mission point. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now when we think of oppression, we often think of a kind of a type of slavery. You know, one people group mistreating another people group. And while oppression does happen at the person-to-person level, what I am wanting to highlight is another component. If this message is resonating with you, you likely feel or have felt the impact that misery and anguish can have on your life. Jesus' ministry actually did not target social reform or injustice. Jesus did not target the person to person component. Now, although he dealt with people on a one-on-one basis, but he wasn't he wasn't actually targeting the interaction that Bill would have with Sam. He wasn't targeting the person-to-person component. In fact, we find very little actually said about political action, uh, social reform, things of that nature. Jesus had something else in his crosshairs. In Acts 10.38, Peter says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by whom? By the devil, for God was with him. Jesus' mission was to free the oppression put forth by the devil. Now, no doubt, the influence through the devil impacts the person-to-person level. But Jesus went for the root, not a symptom. His aim was not to impact was was not the impact that a person has on another person his aim was the impact that the devil was having on the person or the people 1 john 3 verse 8 says the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil it's pretty explicit target one of the miserable things about oppression by the devil is that you can't always see or touch it, but you can feel it for sure. And with this oppression, the anguish, frustration that it causes is immeasurable because what we can feel is internal and it's coming outward, not necessarily due to outward situations impacting our internal state. Now, it's intriguing To me, in Acts 10.38, it says Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. When we take a moment to consider this word healed, this word in Greek means to cure or make whole. Oppression has that impact. Oppression, even inwardly, can have a physical outward impact on our bodies. Most definitely, oppression can lead to an internal state that needs healing. And, and making whole again. Even when I think of this word oppression, we can see the word press in it. It's this pressing that we feel that impacts our life. We could even say being under the thumb of one. Now, what does this look like to be pressed by the devil? It's it's wanting to think or having a thought life like Jesus, but getting barraged, hurled thoughts in your mind contrary to Christ and constantly fighting that. It's the feelings of despair, loneliness, lack of hope, depression that you may battle periodically or even daily. Jesus came to set at liberty those who were oppressed Now um in Luke 13:10 through 17 Luke again Luke 13:10 through 17 Now um I'm not going to read all of this but there is a woman here in this story I want you to read it a woman who is crippled and and it says And verse 11, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Okay, she was crippled by a spirit. A spirit was causing this infirmity. This is an example of a physical ailment with a spiritual cause. We read on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. She had been crippled for 18 years. When Jesus tells her, he declares actually, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. She was given deliverance. Something that we need to be aware of is that oppression can manifest not just in terms of an internal oppression by way of the mind or heart, but also physically by way of the body. This can take different shapes, but this passage in Luke 13 details for us very clearly and very explicitly that a spirit is causing this woman's infirmity. This woman for 18 years has been crippled by a spirit. This is an evil spirit, an unclean spirit. We also call it demon. But it is important to see that by the scripture, the evil spirit was causing this problem. Later, In the text, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders because they get upset that she was healed on the Sabbath. Jesus says in verse 16, Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath? Now, this gives us a little insight into oppression. It also gives us an extra definition for it. She is bound In both a physical sense, she's bent over, tight, bound up, but also in the spiritual sense, she's bound by the spirit whose master is Satan. Jesus' ministry is setting free the oppressed. If I was to take a poll of who listening is aware that an evil spirit can cause or be the source of an infirmity or dysfunction, many people, if not most, would not even consider this an option. Many of these same people would say, well, although that is here in the Bible, technically, that's not something that just happens today, really. Now, it was more applicable to the people of Jesus' time or the time that he was in. Now, this is a dangerous place to take. First of all, you're robbing from the Word of God, making it not as relevant for us today. It's not even arguable here in the text that the source of the woman's issue was an evil spirit. That's explicit. Thinking that this scripture doesn't apply to us today rips the rug of relevance out from under our feet and you stand on a very dangerous ground. Now some may be thinking well there are Old Testament regulations that don't apply to us today and you would be correct but This encounter is demonstrated not in a mosaic time era, but in a time of grace and truth by way of Jesus in his ministry. Many of us will say that God never changes. We should also say that Satan doesn't change. He is the same today as he was at his fall. His tactics remain the same. He isn't creative in the sense of making new. He's a replicator and a distorter. You'll notice that what the devil does is distort truth. So, he manipulates. His tactics are the same since they were since his beginning and will remain the same until his end. So, when we approach the scripture from those two unchanging realities, what realities are that God and the devil stay consistent. Both the cause and the remedy is the same in our day this begs the question how do we approach scenarios like this scenario if you are a physician and you see someone come to you because they are ill let's say they have a bacteria that's causing them to be sick and they are running a fever this patient comes to you you assess them you give them a fever reducing medicine to help lower the fever but you don't give them anything to actually kill the bacteria You would be making a grave mistake because you're treating a symptom. You're not fixing the root cause. This would be to kill the bacteria. That would fix the problem. But here in this story, Jesus goes for the root of her problem, which is a evil spirit. And Jesus ministers deliverance. You are free from your infirmity. This begs the question in the day that we live, what of our experiences are being caused by a evil spirit? This question is important because it changes the way that we approach a solution. Approaching correctly allows restoration and wholeness to come. Anguish and misery can be put to rest. We must begin to assess our experiences. And if they are spiritual causes, we need to approach them spiritually. We need discernment. We need the leading of the Holy Spirit. Oppression can manifest itself in different ways, internally, externally, spiritually, physically. This is just an example of evil spirits causing dysfunction by way of oppression. There are many, many verses in the New Testament gospel um, authors where A spirit causes a dysfunction or a problem in in the physical sense. I'll try to include those in the notes if you'd like to review them for the sake of time. And last point is in Jesus' ministry, he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The word year here in Greek is eniatos. It's a prolonged form of the primary word enos, which is the word for a year. So, again, it's a prolonged form of a year. So more broadly, what he's saying is to proclaim not the one year, but the prolonged, or you could say, Proclaim the span of time of the Lord's favor. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, he wrote 2 Corinthians around 55 AD. Now, if it still applied in Paul's day, it still applies in ours. But what exactly is Christ proclaiming in that span of time? Well, he said favor. That's the word dektos. This word means accepted or acceptable. So the quote favor Christ is proclaiming is that you have an offer of acceptance into God's family. You can be accepted. You can be acceptable. What great news this is as we spend time in the potter's hand. He shapes, he molds us into the vessel that he wants. Rest in knowing that Jesus desires for you to be in his family, in God's family. What greater favor can the Lord show than to welcome into his family? All things are in him. So in him is the greatest prize, the biggest gain, the largest blessing. This is no wonder why Jesus didn't finish quoting the rest of that sentence from Isaiah 6 verse 61 verse 2 and if you read the back to where he's quoting out of isaiah 61 1 through 2 but the second part of verse 2 there's a passage that jesus doesn't speak of and it says and the day of vengeance to proclaim the acceptable the favorable time and quote and the day of vengeance of our god so if if jesus is proclaiming that you can be accepted then his blood is speaking a better word his grace rings out louder god's kindness leads you to repentance so as As we unpacked this ministry of Jesus, I believe what he announced out of all those six, I guess it was, items, agenda, points, objectives, you could call these. As we unpacked those in his ministry, looking closely at each that Christ proclaimed his target, let this message remind you of what freedom, hope, deliverance, salvation is available in His loving arms. Anguish and misery has no place to stay in the follower of Christ's heart and life. Let the Word of God give you faith that He, even now, is changing your circumstance and guiding you through your wilderness. But plant your roots deep into the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and find such abundant life flowing through the river of grace and truth. Allow the Holy Spirit's love to tickle you into childlike joy and laughter. Allow the light of God to shine in through the windows of your soul. Open yourself up fully to Jesus. Holding back or hiding no thing from him. Bring your broken and dirty and place them in the river of his love, the waterfall of his grace, to wash and repair that which is less than his desire for you. Be healed, be delivered, be free, be saved in Jesus' name. Discover who he is calling you to be. May God keep you and reveal himself to you. If it means I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you, and in your house, I hold open.